0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Body Serve. This is our second episode this week, and we are here because Roland Garros is upon us. I'm Jonathan,
1: and I'm James. I feel like we were just here. We really I was were sitting my ass in the same chair not three days ago. We didn't even bother put
0: away to put away the equipment because this was happening so soon. Mm-hmm.
1: So, draw ceremony was today. I was able to sneak a peek while I was at work, sitting at my desk. Sneak
0: a peek? Mm-hmm. It looked like you were watching the entire damn thing. I was. I was and, like, and are screen you green capping? <laughs> are
1: you doing any work? It was on my lunch hour. You were texting
0: me updates like Serena gets Christina Pliskova. I'm like, dude, I'm watching it.
1: I, I'm so bad. I thought you were at work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even evidence know number
0: two thousand that he doesn't listen to me.
1: Now. Yeah, it was a well-organized event, I thought. It yeah. wasn't, you know, super exciting. It wasn't popping, but it was, it was well done. Do
0: you remember how bad the Australian Open one yes, was? Yes, yes. That I... was like 85% <laughs> men's coverage and 15% women yeah. dragged on forever.
1: This was not that. Right. I appreciated it was to the point, but they actually did show the screens kind of enough to get an idea of what was going on. And after it was
0: done, they went and recapped the whole thing. They showed you the sections again. Mm -hmm.
1: So here's what we're going to do on this episode. We have solicited questions from you all. We got some wonderful questions via email and on Twitter. So we're kind of going to go through the draws with the aid of these questions. And I think we'll do a deeper dive in the draw after that. Mm -hmm. Apologies to Ian.
0: Your question came in a bit too late for us to do the requisite research to answer your question about Bianca...
1: Mm Andreascu. Yes. So next episode. The answer is no, we don't know anything about her yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The first question, Master Ace sent in this question via email, and Mar Lawson sent us a similar question as well, inquiring as to who we have as dark horses in the men and women's
1: draws. So let's start with the women, because we're going to kind of go through the women's draw first. My first one is Carlos Suarez Navarro. Okay. I think she's been showing signs of life lately. She beat uh, Streetsova and Svitolina in Madrid. And I know it's a home crowd and she was getting really pumped up. And she is, aside from Muguruza, kind of the Spanish lady boss these days, right? Her game is so fascinating. It's beautiful to watch. I think she's she's got a shot.
0: If that were to happen, I'd be very happy. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan. I enjoy her game. This much has been documented. I don't know if that will quite happen
1: this time. (laughs) I'm not saying to win, Uh but but to make a little noise. And I don't think her section is impossible. Kazatkina and Wozniacki are in there. But I don't know. You never know. Kazatkina hasn't had an incredible clay season. Not a bad one, but just not not as great as I thought it was going to be.
0: I have Laura Sigamund. As one of my dark horse picks. Siegmund. C. That is if, and this is a big if, she's healthy enough. Mm-hmm. Because she's got a fairly open section for somebody of her ranking at this point. Uh-huh. Um,
1: she's got uh, you want to talk about her first round, though?
0: I'm getting there. There's <laughs> Rybarikova. And then her first round match is Coco Vandewey. Who, after making the final in Stuttgart, has done zero. Yeah nothing two two first round losses yes. and it might just be a third first round loss on the trot for Colleen. <laughs> if there were to be a prediction that would be mine okay and moving past that she's also in that little section there with Muguruza who has a tough tough first round match against Svetlana Kuznetsova mm-hmm. and Muguruza has not been doing anything this clay court season very little. Obviously, she's a past champion. So she has that pedigree. She has the pedigree regardless of the surface. And she could do anything on any given day. But if I'm to pick a dark horse, it's Zygamund from that section. Also, I'm going to go with Kazatkina as my other mm-hmm. dark horse. You know,
1: I actually had her here too. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. and you uh... I kind of contradicted myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen her make the
0: final in... Charleston last year, losing to Ostapenko. She had that breakthrough win, well not a win, a finals appearance at Indian Wells this year, losing to Naomi Osaka. And on that slow surface, we all got the impression or cemented or supposition that she should be very good on clay. Mm -hmm. While she hasn't had the breakout result thus far, this could be it for her.
1: I like that. I like, man, that backhand. Like, I just want to see everything she can do with it on clay.
0: And if you look at her section, you talked about that's where Carla is. But then, okay, say so she gets past Kneppi in the first round. She'll then play either Tatiana Maria or Kirsten Flipkins in the second round before getting CSN in the third round, and then potentially Wozniacki in the fourth round. And we know that Wozniacki hasn't had the best history at Roland Garros. Mm-hmm. She also has number one to play for this tournament.
1: She does. I mean, she made the quarterfinals last year, which I believe was the first time she had reached the quarters in Paris. I could be wrong. Uh, And she lost to the eventual champ, Ostapenko. Her... I mean, she didn't play in Stuttgart, in Charleston, in Prague. She didn't play until Madrid, basically.
0: She'd been suffering from injuries Mm -hmm. as well. So she too comes
1: in with some questions... Right, and I mean, she lost to to great players. She lost to Burtons in Madrid and Contavate in Rome. Uh, so I don't I don't really know what to expect from Caroline.
0: Again, in that quarter, though, Contavate is in that quarter. <laughs> right. The big I have it circled with a big wow beside it. Petroviteva and Contevate in the third round. Mm-hmm. That is
1: unfortunate. It is for both. It is a wicked. That's what a third uh, a third round a third round. Uh, so, Kvitova beat Contivate at Madrid, which is, a I guess, a little bit faster of a surface. Um, that, man, that is a toss-up. And something I didn't realize until I was researching for this episode is that, is it contivate or contavite I've heard both. Okay. We are exposing ourselves as not having <laughs> done our I due know, diligence. I know, I know, I know what I was going to say is that she actually beat she lost to the eventual champion at Stuttgart, Madrid, and Rome. So really, the three biggest clay court events on the women's side, she lost to the eventual champion each. But that's not bad,
0: and then we also have Petra who won Prague and then won Madrid. So she's coming in in good form. Hopefully, she's gotten some rest after that stretch of winning way more matches than maybe even she expected the spring' playing, mm-hmm. right. And so those two, two of the stellar standout players on play this spring, get each other in the third round, potentially wearing each other out before having to play one of Sevastova and Sloan Stevens should she get that far. <laughs> and then there's the kazatkina Wozniaki match as well. So really, from that third round section of that quarter... Any of those women, you could make an argument for them. Yes. You could make an argument for Alizé Cornet, freed from the drug <laughs> cloud.
1: The intercom has
0: been fixed. She's good to go. Good to gizzle, as has been said in, oh, in the Jamaican dance hall song. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, Kvitova Kantevet, Sevastava, Stevens, Kazatkina,
1: Carla, Cornet, Wozniaki. Wow, like pick those third rounds are crazy. If I mean, they're not all going to happen, probably Mm -hmm.
0: that entire bottom half for me is where it's at. Mm -hmm. And we talk about all those women in that section, and then there's another who you've pegged as a dark horse,
1: yeah, Maria Sicari, who would face possibly Carlos Suarez in the third round. Sakari has wins over Burtons and Pliskova, famously, at Rome. I feel that she's a player on the come-up. If these third rounds don't go to seed, I could see Sakari slipping in there, definitely. Myra
0: Lawson also asks, Muguruza or Ostapenko, who will have the better tournament?
1: And maybe the answer is neither. (laughs) Because (laughs) they've both got a tough ask. Well, that brings up something I've been wanting to talk about. On the top half, the second quarter, which really belongs to Muguruza, technically, by her seed. This is rough, because a lot of the floaters landed here. In my mind, the person who suffers the most is Pliskova, but followed by Muguruza. It's not easy. We've got... Colleen Rybarakova, uh, Pavlichenkova, like on Muguruza's section. Yes, which but at is the neither here nor there.
0: The bottom half of that quarter yeah. is where it's at.
1: So we got Yulia Gerges, Serena Williams, Maria Sharapova, Karolina Pliskova. What are you talking about, though? That's not the question. The question is Muguruza or Ostapenko. Well, I'm saying before the tournament, I was thinking that Ostapenko is in better form. And I was feeling that she was more primed to to have a good tournament have a deep run maybe not match what she achieved last year but you know put in make a good name for herself and i feel even make a good name for herself well maybe that's the wrong phrase put in a good defense of her title yeah exactly just you know show up up and do the work i don't she doesn't have to defend to to be a good player like but now that i see the draw i feel even more strongly that This is a really tough ask for Muguruza to get through. That's that's where I was going to. I'm so confused. Because
0: you said that Ostapenko, before, you're like, she's playing better. And that she'll have the better chance to maybe have a good showing. Yes. And now I
1: feel even more strongly. That's that's what you should
0: have said. That's what I did say. Oh, I I didn't get the more part. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we've talked about already that Muguruza plays Kuznetsova in the first round. Mm -hmm. That's her starting point of... (laughs) dire-ness. <laughs>
1: right. And um, we don't really know what kind of form Svetlana is in, but she's a former champion here, and you just cannot count her out.
0: Mm-hmm. However, should she get past that, she has a third round with Pavlyuchenkova. Meanwhile, Ostropenko gets either Siniakova or Azarenka in the second round.
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to to breeze right by that. That's That's not great. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is where
0: it becomes a tough question. Mind you, this question was submitted in advance of the draw. Right. So maybe Myra Lawson has some kind of crystal ball that she knew <laughs> that this question would be even more apt after the draw. Mm-hmm. But pick your poison, truly. I do get the sense that Astapenko is... Her confidence is impregnable. You watched her at the draw ceremony lead rafa into the into the room like they started walking (laughs) together and then yeah and
1: then ostapenko
0: was maybe buoyed by the wind in her flowing locks
1: i mean just
0: took off to the stage and answered all her questions as if she were racing to a finish line (laughs) she was
1: like i'm here i'm ready look at me look at me she had 50 pounds of hair uh, that beautiful lace dress. I just, I love her style so much. The hair was giving me everything today. But, yeah, she has this it's everything beautiful everything Patti confidence.
0: Schneider wish she ever had. Oh,
1: my God. In hair. Don't be rude. It's very hard to tame curly hair like that. You should know. <laughs> I do know. <laughs> but, like you said, Astapenko is overflowing with confidence, and it shows in her game. Like, this is just how she approaches a game of tennis. mm mm-hmm. The other thing is that Muguruza is a bit more controlled, obviously, but she's somebody who can show up cold with terrible results in the in the warm-up tournaments to majors and put in like an untouchable performance. she's we've seen her do it before.
0: Maybe Sveta plays her into form.
1: yeah that's if you I'm had to yeah,
0: we have to answer here. I'm gonna go with Ostapenko. who we will have the better tournament? Oh, I'm gonna say Ostapenko as well. okay. Jonathan Steiger asks us to pick two contenders, one who will benefit most, and one who will be most handicapped by not having access to a coach during Roland Garros' matches. Mm-hmm. This, is
1: this, a, this is a great question, first of all. I, th- like, kudos to you. I was really just... This made me think really hard. For me,
0: I'm going to contradict what I just said about the Ostapenko-Muguruza <laughs> thing, but I do believe Muguruza could benefit from not having to deal with Sam Sumik mm-hmm. on court. That is
1: an having excellent
0: observation. Having him totally out of her mind's eye. She doesn't have to look at him mm-hmm. on, on the court. And I think she may benefit from that because their, well. their relationship is fraught. It's tumultuous. Mm-hmm. It is up and down. It sees and it saws. It's topsy-turvy. It is <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: It is fiery. I would say, sort of joking, but also serious, Putin Seva would probably benefit from not speaking to her boyfriend mm. during the matches because she doesn't want to hear about his Flat Earth videos. Oh that God.
0: was her, right? I've, I've, <laughs> I'm not one of these people who have followed her every move and right. bow down <laughs> to Putin. I've
1: actively tried to ignore her as mm. much as possible. All right. Now, who would benefit most... Or who would be most handicapped by not having a coach? I would... Well, I think a lot of people would probably say Simona Holup. You know, Darren's coaching timeouts are... He's smart. Like, he's motivational. He breaks down tactics. He knows how to pump her up. I feel like they really understand each other. Mm -hmm. And... But the thing is, like, her game doesn't suffer at majors. Like, she made the final of the Australian. She was in the final of the French last year. She was able to but navigate... But there is something at the French. I wouldn't say the Australian because she was totally exhausted. But the French, like, what's going on? You know, she can win this tournament. I feel like anytime she enters Roland Garros and she's healthy, she can win. Like, she's a real contender. She's considered the preeminent clay court
0: player in tennis now. Right. I don't have an answer for who would be hindered most by not having a coach. I do think that Simona is an easy target. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a yes. type of, at this point, the discussion and discourse surrounding her coaching relationship and coaching timeouts and visits on court, they swing whichever way the wind is blowing. Mm. So that's, that's my take on that.
1: Okay. Our friend Fabian submitted this question. Aga Radwanska's absence at Roland Garros will be her break her streak of 47 consecutive majors. Is this the beginning of the end for Aga? How old is she, 28? Somewhere around there.
0: The short answer for me is no. The okay. decline in her results over the last year has been shocking, frankly.
1: Right, because she's been so consistent for mm-hmm. damn near a decade.
0: She's typically able to just wizard her way to a small title here or there, or mm. get by in an event or two on her share gifts, and that hasn't been able to happen. She's been injured as well. Yeah, That's always something to pay attention to when players stop having results that they're accustomed to. It's shocking to see her name so far down in the rankings. I I, I don't. I think she's too young to write her off just yet.
1: I don't think it... It doesn't have to be the end for Aga, but I wouldn't blame her if through all these injuries and getting married that maybe her interest is waning. It's hard, like... It's hard to stay motivated for more than half your life playing professional tennis. I wouldn't blame her at all. I can speak
0: to my personal life. When you reach your late 20s, you hit 30. I always tell people that 30 is such a milestone time in your life. Especially because your goals and the way you see the world changes so vastly. It's like you wake up one day and you start to think about your retirement. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a stark contrast in the way you see things. Mm, Yeah. And not to say that because she has a man now and she's married that her goals should automatically change. But it dovetails with an intrinsic change that one goes through in their life Mm -hmm. as well. And battling through injuries and then you have some disappointing results. Maybe your motivation is not necessarily less than it was before, but different. Mm. It doesn't mean that you're no longer interested in playing tennis, but the reasons for which you play tennis and the amount of time that you're willing to
1: dedicate to it changes. Right. So maybe she's just figuring stuff out as well. Maybe. And you mentioned, like, she's not quite 30 yet, but she has been a working professional for a lot longer than most of us have. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you may be reaching a point where, okay, my career is finite, more finite than most people's careers. And I'm thinking about what's next. But again, I don't know, Aga. I have no, we don't talk. Like, I don't know what she's thinking. <laughs> but I, I don't think that it has to be the end of her career.
0: We have one more question pertaining to the woman's draw that we're going to save for the very end of the episode after we've gone through the men's draw as well. Because it pertains to this issue that came up in full force. It was in full flight this week. Mm-hmm. Serena Williams being the poster child for the WTA taking an axe to its current maternity leave policy or lack thereof. So we're going to deal with that at the end. Before we get into the men's draw, we're just going to talk a little bit more about some of the notable first round matches and things to look for. And maybe make a little bit of a a prediction. A pre- oh, not a prediction. Oh, I wasn't
1: prepared for that. You know,
0: not a, like, you know, just like somebody who you could see doing something. Okay. Not just a dark horse, but if you had to pick somebody, who would you pick? Kind
1: of. Thing. <laughs> okay. Um, the way I see these draws is that aside from. I mean, Plishkova's quarter. Plishkova muguruzas quarter got stuck with a few dangerous floaters. But otherwise, I feel that it's a pretty. Even keeled women's draw. I don't. I wouldn't say that one side is extremely lopsided.
0: Astapenko and Azarenka can consider themselves unlucky. Mm-hmm. Vika has a low ranking. It was always in the cards. Kvitova and Kantivite. That is unfortunate in the third round.
1: Right, but it's a it's a perfectly fair third round when seeds are playing. Right. It's just that Kantivite has. Thank you. Stuff.
0: Thank you for jumping in to finish my point.
1: Okay, well, just deal with it. It's called dialogue. My
0: point is, by and large, this was not a women's draw, or a men's draw, for that matter, where you couldn't necessarily feel aggrieved in ways right. that you could in the past.
1: It's just... It's, <laughs> right.
0: It's kind of a chill draw.
1: Like, if you were feeling aggrieved, you may you may be looking for it.
0: Notable first-round matches... Siniakova plays Azarenka. Kanta plays Putintseva. Venus plays Wang Qiang, Corne plays
1: Sarah Irani in the first mm-hmm. round. The Who, Why You Say Bamo special. <laughs> or as, a, as a Michelle Jabour said on Twitter, it was the Intercom versus Tortellini matchup, which you really did me one better. Like, that was hilarious. That
0: was uh, the height of messiness. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos.
1: Well played. Uh, what, uh, what are the first rounds? There's Kazatkina Kanepi, um, Gavrilova Kirstea. We mentioned Zygamunt and Kaline. I have no idea what to expect from that.
0: Mladenovic plays Petkovic. Savalenka plays Kiki Bertens. You, we didn't even talk about this yet. Yulia Gerges plays Sibolkova in the mm-hmm. first round.
1: Who has been showing some signs of life recently. Um I mean, this just goes to show you how deep the WTA is, which you were talking about last episode. You feel that it's even deeper than it was maybe two or three years ago. Yes, I firmly, uh, I like firmly believe that. A Burton's Sabalenka first round, I think, is is indicative of that. Same with Sibulkova versus Gerges. Sibulkova, a former Grand Slam runner-up. I was sitting there watching the draw unfold, and...
0: The first five minutes or so of the men's draw, I was struggling to find anything I cared about. (laughs) Meanwhile, the women's draw is just like, oh, oh, right. Oh, and then we leave the last, we leave the match that will probably have the most eyeballs on it for last. Christina Pliskova against Serena Williams, (laughs) which I think will be a fairly stern test of Serena. Because Mm -hmm. Pliskova has had a decent clay court season. Yeah, She She had the quarterfinals of Charleston, the quarters in Prague, round of 16s in Madrid, and just today lost, I believe in three sets, in the quarters of Nuremberg.
1: Mm. So, it could be worse. It could definitely be better. It was always going to be tough. Right. I was just just hoping it wasn't Serena versus Halep or... Something mad like that.
0: Should she get through Pliskova, then she plays... Ash Barty in the second round, and then potentially Yulia Gerges in the third round, before Sharpova or the other Pliskova in the fourth round. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. See... And
0: then, if you get to the quarterfinals and Muguruza is sitting standing across the net from you, you know Muguruza is in some form. Yeah. And so it becomes that much more of a task. And then in the semifinals, you're likely looking at. Simona Halep, or
1: Caroline Garcia. Uh, going back to Muguruza, who has beaten her twice at this very tournament, that's not, that is not something I would want to see. Uh, I mean, for Serena's sake. As a fan or as an observer, it'll probably be an exciting match. If, if it happens, there are so many conditionals in that. Um, but Garcia is another one that I'm watching that I think really, really has a shot to get to the semis or the final.
0: She will have the added pressure of playing at home. That's always yep. another consideration mm-hmm. for the French players. But the argument really could be made for one of Halep or Garcia to be the finalist from that half.
1: Yes, uh, because the, the, the women in the second quarter may just beat each other up so badly that they're hobbled, You know that the players on the top will be a little more fresh.
0: As for Venus, it's tough to expect anything from her at this tournament. She has run of sixteen points to defend. She is not that it's anywhere remotely on her mind, but she is staving off Sloane Stephens for the title of current U.S. number one. Right. She was able to do that again this week in absentia because Sloane Stephens lost her first match mm-hmm. to Putintseva in Nür- in Strasbourg or Nuremberg, Nuremberg, I believe.
1: Right. But remember, Sloane did not play Roland Garros last year. She still has a few tournaments to go before she starts defending yes. points. And
0: Venus has a ton of points to defend, starting yeah. with fourth-round points at the French Open. I think people take for granted from year to year that, oh, well, Venus didn't do anything last year. She mm-hmm. actually did something actually, last she year. Did. She won the first set from Pachinsky in that fourth-round match, a repeat of her loss to her in 2016, same round, mm-hmm. and then lost... Fairly easily the next two sets. She was very close to making a quarterfinal yes. at the French Open last year, so she has those points to defend. As for what she's going to be encountering at this tournament, she's got Wang Qiang in the first round, before playing another Wang or Martic in the second round. Martic is not an easy out. Before potentially Kanta again, those two seem to play each other all mm. the time now.
1: Kanta is not really feeling herself this at this point on clay. I could see I could see Venus getting to the round of sixteen. I think she has a good shout. Before having to play
0: Ostapenko or Vika. Right. Potentially. The thing is we've seen Venus lose a lot of matches. She lost to Contevate twice, which is no no shame.
1: Well, a lot of people have lost to her yes. recently.
0: And she won one match in her clay preparation, but she's also spent a lot of time on the practice courts. She was able mm-hmm. to get to Paris very early probably met up with Serena as well. It helped that Serena was training with Maratoglou at his academy. And she's actually had a lot of time on Philippe Chatrier. Mm-hmm. That could play to her benefit.
1: And just today we learned that Serena in Venus accepted a wild card into the doubles draw. Yes. I was legitimately surprised by that. I was not. Really? No. I kind of expected Am that. I naive? I, I was very surprised. At this stage in their careers, that they wanted to play more. I think Serena hasn't played. I think it had
0: more to do with Serena, probably. She hasn't played. Patrick had said, leading up to this tournament, she needed five weeks. She'll be ready. As much match practice as possible, mm. she'll take it. Is right. my my read on the the situation. And you know they'll probably just withdraw if they get far. <laughs> I mean, like there's <laughs> well, at this point, there's no way that they can both withstand going deep into a tournament and doubles as well. Mm. It's just too much to ask. It's kind of like an insurance. To stick around if they're out of singles.
1: A lot of people forget, and including us, forget Alina Svitolina. She's always under the radar, even though she just won Rome. Listen, I have her circled here. Yeah, yeah. But we haven't even mentioned her name once yet. No. Um, And we're getting toward the end of the women's draw. She could face Ostapenko in the quarterfinals. That's who she's seated to face. I mean, the sky's the limit for Svitolina. She can beat literally anyone. She will put it together at a slam, eventually. It could be this one. I have no idea. But, like, you always have to watch her.
0: There's no reason, based on this draw, to expect anything other than a Halep-Svitolina final. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were to say, oh, well, let's see how it plays out. That 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 makes the most sense, truly. Right. But, I do think that the winner of Kantevet Kvitova could go very deep, and I also feel like the winner of Halep-Garcia, should it get to that, could be your eventual champion. Hmm. Not that those are particularly groundbreaking
1: things to say. So that was your prediction? As much as a prediction as it is. Okay. Now, as, as a rule, I tend to never predict things for Serena. Like I don't want to put it out into the universe and be proven wrong. So, I am feeling a Garcia final. I'm not sure who she will face, but that's my prediction.
0: I think a lot of folks will expect and look forward to that Serena Sharapova fourth round. And uh, I just don't see it happening. Mm. And I, think I feel it, like Pliskova will take her out. I do, I do as mm-hmm. well. Pliskova has shown enough, and then some on clay. To be able to handle yep. her, I believe.
1: Because I think that Carolina has the accuracy that Sharapova is lacking at the moment. Shall we move on to the men's draw? Let's. We'll start up with the questions again. So, reiterating question from Master Ace and Mara Lawson. Who are our dark horse picks on the men's side?
0: I'll go first this time. Okay. I have the winner of Fabio Fonini and Kyle Edmund as mm-hmm. the dark horse. The biggest dark horse. For the men's side. Okay. Edmund has the, un- well, I don't know if it's unfortunate, but he does have an an interesting first round against Alex de Minard, Two young guns that folks definitely will be watching in the first round. Assuming Edmund gets through that and Funini gets through Pablo Andahar, who is on the comeback trail, they would meet in the third round and they both have the ability, I would say, To make a deep run. Edmund has been there or thereabouts. And even when he's losing, he's losing tight matches to people who probably should still beat him. And he feels like he's on the cusp of another big run. We saw him make a deep, deep run in Australia. And he could be primed to do it again.
1: Mm -hmm. And he has wins over Djokovic and Golfan this year on clay.
0: It also helps that he has... To my mind, well, the entire top half of the draw, you could say, is wide open outside of Nadal getting through to the semifinals. Mm. It is a fairly nice draw for Rafael. Uh, yeah, Having to is. play Shapovalov potentially in the fourth round, notwithstanding. But then you get to the quarterfinals and you should expect to play somebody like Schwarzman. Uh, but in the quarter with Fabio and Edmund, there's Chilich as a top seed. I see him now, and he may see this as a disservice to him because he's actually won a slam. But he's performing <laughs> now, as Burdick did for so many years, getting to the back end of tournaments consistently, but not necessarily winning.
1: Right. I'm like a notch better. Yes. You know, he's made more Grand Slam finals.
0: There's Del Potro in the same quarter, but he's coming in with serious question marks about his health. Nobody knew he is, yeah. right up until the last minute if he would play. He still may not play. And uh, there's Isner <laughs> who
1: I, we're being told is yes. Rafa's biggest competition. The
0: one person who could take down Rafa and Clay is John Isner. He's there in that quarter. he could potentially play Del Potro in the fourth round, and if it plays to seed, then there's Chilich and Del Potro in the quarterfinals, but in fact, it could be it could be Fabio, it could be Edmund against Isner against Ramos Vignolas. Against Berdick? <laughs> I mean... Uh, against Julian Beneteau? Yeah, who, who knows? Is, who is to say? <laughs> so those are my two dark horse
1: picks. Okay. Mine on the men's side... Well... Funny you should ask. Because before I saw the draw, one of them was Joao Sosa. But he could face Nadal in the second round. I felt that Sosa had broken through. He won the title at Estoril. And... He was primed to do something, but I don't know. I I don't really see him beating it at all. So I'm gonna take that one back. I had I too had Edmund. I have Cole Schreiber. I think that Cole Schreiber is he's been on a very good run, and I think he has a really good shot to make the quarters. To be honest. However, he does play Borna a in
0: the first round.
1: Yeah, that's the thing, which I th- see as a pretty bad draw for both. Borna is very good on clay, but Kohlschreiber has had good results lately. He made the final in Munich, lost to Sasha Zverev, who has beaten almost everybody this clay season. Diego Schwartzmann could be Kohlschreiber's uh, what is that round of sixteen opponent, and Diego really hasn't done anything on third round. Oh, you're right. Sorry, his third round opponent, and Diego hasn't had a great season the past few months. He's been killing it on Instagram. He, <laughs> he has, yes. And then the other one was Nishikori, which I feel is cheating because he is a player with a certain pedigree. He's not really a dark horse, right?
0: Mara Lawson also asks, who will be Nadal's fiercest competition?
1: Mm-hmm. She asks this before the draw came out. Now that the draw is out, I think it's Shapovalov. And if Nadal gets through Dennis, I would say that Chilich is probably his fiercest competition. Like you said, Chilich is filling the Burdich you know, spot. But he is a tough out. He's a tough out for Rafa everywhere but clay. I would say. But for Cilic to be
0: his fiercest competition, he would have to get to the semifinals. Yes. Which is already a tough ask for him. Okay. And you get to a semifinal at Roland Garros against Rafa Nadal, you best be playing the best tennis of your life. (laughs) I think his toughest competition will be the Chapovalov match, only because it will absolutely be, if he gets there, such a big test for Dennis as to where he is in his development. And if he is as talented as we've been told, as we suspect, if he's ready to make a big breakthrough as he's bound to eventually, this is a type of big stage where somebody with his gifts could seize the moment.
1: Mm-hmm. You notice we haven't even mentioned the possibility of Jack's sock. Filling that spot, well, fuck that even noise. though he's <laughs> he <laughs> is fuck that seated noise. Yeah. in that spot, no. but he has had an abysmal I
0: season. I am actively looking forward to when Jack Sock is no longer seated at <laughs> tournaments. <laughs> Diego, you have to give him his props at this point. He is somebody who could push Rafa. He somehow mm-hmm. managed to get so much so much power on his shots from such a little frame. Yeah, and then, assuming he gets to the final. Assuming either man gets to the final, it's either Zverev or or Novak. Those are the other two men who could really push Rafa Rafa in terms of what the draw is going on. So those four men are the ones I would pick. Shapovalov,
1: Schwarzman, Zverev, and Novak. So you don't see Dominic Team pushing Rafa if he got to the final. Dominic Team has
0: got 99 problems and Rafa Nadal ain't one at this point.
1: Well, Rafa Nadal is like all of them,
0: isn't he? Well, he has 99 problems before he gets to Rafa mm-hmm. Nadal. That's true. Our next question, again from Jonathan Steiger. He wants each of us to speculate on two of the big four and how they, how effective they might be as coaches in the future. Let's just talk about all four. <laughs> and part of being effective is the willingness to do the job, right? I just can't see Federer sitting in somebody's box being their coach on tour. Like, surely there's something more statemently for him to do. <laughs>
1: Amen. Like being the I don't know, the president of the ITF,
0: the president of of being like God's advisor. <laughs> Put it that
1: way. <laughs> Maybe the CEO of Rolex. Um I think Federer would probably be an excellent coach, but I I just could never see him doing it.
0: I don't know how excellent he would be when you have somebody who is so naturally gifted. Obviously he works yeah, that's very a good hard, point. but when you're so naturally gifted, the the amount of work that it takes to get not-so-gifted players to be their best. Mm. it he I, I just don't know if he would have <laughs> the fortitude to stick through it. If that makes okay. sense. Do you know what I mean? But
1: I would think that back in the day, people couldn't see Ivan Lendl, for example, being a great coach. Because he's not expressive. He wasn't seen as a very generous personality. hmm Um, But the
0: workman-like nature of his game would lend itself to the grind of being a coach on tour. mm -hmm. That's something that you could see him enjoying. Right. Which is not something that I would see somebody like Federer doing in the twilight of his career, life. I would imagine him enjoying the fruits of his spoils as
1: he should. Right. Okay. I think Nadal would be too bossy.
0: No Just no 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 no. Plain
1: and simple. Not very good. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> did you see him? Did you see Rafa stage managing the rain delay? Yes. In. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, he was telling everybody where to go. Pull the tarp back this many centimeters. He was telling the ball boys where to go. I mean, he was choreographing the whole thing. Like he would make he a good director. Really,
0: Maybe he should get into film and direct.
1: He would be, films. He would be one of those difficult directors. <laughs> uh, he has obsessive tendencies, as we know. Yes. I just think it's Rafa's way or the highway. Yeah. Like, you would need a very mentally strong student.
0: I think there would need to be um, assistant coaches. <laughs> he does have his academy, which would lend itself to, to training. Mm-hmm he could have the person stay at the academy and train year-round or what have you. But... Uh, and that's not these, to say these that... People, but these people become so great because of their wild idiosyncrasies. Yes. Because of how intense they have to be. And so to be able to dial that back to then help a lesser than mm-hmm. get to a quarter of your powers in your prime, right? it's tough.
1: And Rafa's technique is not something you want to teach to a kid or or even a professional player. It's just, it's unorthodox. It's probably not healthy.
0: I could absolutely see Andy Murray as a coach. I could see him being definitely a coach of any WTA player and making it work.
1: Yep. Well, he had really the best example in yeah. his own household, right? He has Judy Murray, who is, I mean, just a magnanimous presence. She wants to share what she knows about tennis to give opportunities to kids. And I think
0: Andy would enjoy the misery that a, that his pupil would go through losing. <laughs> he would enjoy it in a sense. <laughs> you know, he'd be able to relate to it. Mm-hmm. All those losses that he's picked up to Djokovic in those finals, no shade. But that type of stuff prepares
1: you to be able to go through it with another person mm-hmm. as well. And Novak is... Novak is so articulate and so smart. We've talked about him as the brain of the Big Four. I think that he would he would flourish as a coach mm. because he, he's very analytical.
0: Not to beat a dead horse here, but if we are to buy into the whole business of Novak needing to be loved and all that stuff, <laughs> a second coming of Novak mm. as a coach, as a super coach, that kind of royal tour throughout the year of being in the spotlight and taking credit for the success not in a sinister way but being giving the credit for somebody's success is something I could see him doing and I also think he's probably been through enough coaches at this point all shade to be able to bring the best of many coaches into one mm-hmm. for somebody else well and to
1: know what works and what doesn't yeah
0: thank you to Dr. Scholes because without fail you always bring us a fuck Mary kill that we can just devour. <laughs> and thank you for keeping it French. This was a French Open preview. Mm-hmm. Very and topical. You, you went and did the business. You brought us three Frenchmen for this fuck, marry, kill.
1: Mm-hmm. And as we know, the French team is very deep. No pun intended. I
0: thought you were going to say very fuckable. <laughs> well, they're, they're probably very fuckable, very marryable, and very killable. <laughs>
1: Can, so, so it works yes, on all levels. I would like to bestow all three on probably one person. <laughs> Who would that be? Oh no, not on this list. But you could see all of them being difficult, attractive, and loving at the same time, right?
0: Mm. The three men in question are Luca Puy, Jeremy Chardy, and Pierre Hugues Hebert. Alright.
1: So the fuck would be Puy. Like that is that's an absolute no-brainer for me. I mean, he's Just quite literally perfect. Like the Greek god Apollo. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. 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 I
0: hear you. I I see no faults in that statement. (laughs) And I would agree. I would marry Pierre. And Mm. I would have to kill Shreddy because I find nothing about him. Attractive mm. in any way? Sadly, it's he does. not because he does nothing he, for me.
1: He seems like a really nice guy, yes, and he's not unattractive at all. No, but just not. For you me. gave us a very difficult choice here. Yeah,
0: I think he knew to keep Sanga out of this because right. that would have just been too much for you to handle.
1: Uh, well, because do you f him or do you m him? I think you kill everybody else if
0: you're you, just <laughs> to be sure. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> I think you realized it would have been
0: skewed. <laughs> <laughs> So who would you marry?
1: Oh, uh, Pierre Oug. Oh, so it's the same. Oh, so we agree? Pierre just looks like he would wake up and cook me breakfast. Mm-hmm. He would sing. Remember he serenaded everyone at the Davis Cup dinner? He just seems like a very uh, a loving... Sweet ...gentleman man. guy.
0: Yeah. Let's uh, go through the rest of the men's draw. In terms of interesting first round matches, we already talked about Church and Kohlschreiber. Fonini gets Andujar... Man, Vashik Paspasil, who has been traipsing around the world on the ITF circuit, building his ranking back up, he has to play Martin Fuksovich Mm -hmm. in the first round, who just took out Stan Wawrinka in Geneva.
1: Damn. John Isner plays the winner of the US wildcard, Noah Rubin. We already talked about
0: Kyle Edmund and Alex Diminar. Jeremy Shardy, we let him play his first round match before we kill him. He gets Berdick (laughs) in the first round. From a Western, from a North American perspective, the one that stands out is Francis Tiafo and Sam Querrey.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And from our perspective, it's one that we want to see Francis do very well in.
1: Right. I mean, Querrey has been abysmal mm-hmm. so far this year. I don't see any reason that Francis cannot win that.
0: And uh, maybe having sex with Luca will push him forward to beating Daniel Medvedev. In the first round, <laughs> uh, Guillermo Garcia Lopez gets Dan Vavrinka th- in this crazy, crazy, crazy section. I we I said before that you know you couldn't really argue with this draw, it was kind of chill, never regard, but this is really the one section
1: mm-hmm. that's yeah.
0: kind of just a bit much.
1: Yeah, Dominic has his hands full. I mean, he could get Stefanos Tsitsipas in the second round. I blame is... you,
0: I blame you because you tweeted. Oh, look, Dominic is so lucky he got a qualifier in the first <laughs> right. round. And then and two minutes like, oh, later, shit. here comes
1: Stefano Sitsipas. Mm-hmm. Stefanos, who you may remember, was the finalist in Barcelona. Um, Dominic played Lyon and lost. Today. Today. He could, I mean, if he gets through that, you know, there's Muller, there's Nishikori the Bellamy quarterfinal is awaiting Sasha Zverev. That's that's not very nice for Dominic Team to have to face Sasha in the quarterfinals.
0: And it would be Sasha's very first slam quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. And to do it, he might have to get by either Pui or Stan Vavrinka, which if Stan has made the fourth round, he may have played himself into form if he's healthy. Right. And then at the top half of that quarter, Team, assuming he gets by Tsitsipas, gets Mueller in the third round, then potentially Kei Nishikori in the fourth round, who there's been a lot of debate about his kit. I'm on the side of, I absolutely love that kit. Whose? Nishikori with the brown shorts. I've seen it referred to as doodoo pants. Oh. (laughs) With the yellow and the red. Is it the red, Yeah. It's different, and uh, I like it. So there's that. I have opined.
1: I saw the Kay Nishikori cutout at the Toronto Uniqlo store, and I felt very heard. You so felt heard? I felt like tennis is here, and they're giving it to us.
0: I will say this, though. You you own Joe's Adidas shorts. I do, yeah. I tried on K's Uniqlo shorts, mm-hmm. and the fit is just not good. It just is not. Well, they're way too long. They're way too narrow. It's. They need to do better.
1: Joe and I, you know... We can simil- we can wear similar. You have similar shorts, assets. <laughs> what else? In the third quarter, still in the bottom half here, Djokovic Djokovic does not have a terrible road here. No. Like
0: not at all. We kind of we're done with the top half, right? I think we kind of exhausted that. Yeah. For the most part. So the last bit to get through here is this top half of the bottom half. The 3rd does <laughs> Don't just say the third quarter. The third quarter. <laughs> we still haven't mastered this after all these no. years. Goffin, I have this circled. Goffa gets potentially Mofis in the third round, which, that's just a whole lot of fun. Mhm. So much fun. Like, I might get up for that one. <laughs> Nick Kyrus is a dangerous floater there. Not for somebody who could win the title, I don't think that's in the cards, but for somebody who could do some damage earlier on to some other folks. Mm-hmm. And then kind of fizzle out. He has a qualifier before playing Chechenado or Coppel. Then Cariño Busta in the third round before Gofa in the fourth round. And then should he get to the quarters, then it's potentially Nole or Grigor. Nole and Grigor in the fourth round, that is marquee. That is something to watch.
1: Yeah. because Grigor has been, I mean, he's been in and out lately. Like, he did make the semifinal of Monte Carlo and lost to Nadal, but he had just kind of crappy results at Madrid and Rome, lost in his first round in both. But still, if Novak
0: isn't quite there yet, Dimitrov, at his best, could make it an entertaining match. Mm. That said, if we were looking for two people who aren't necessarily favorites... To make the final, I think you go with Goffin, who is my pick to make the final, or Kenishori.
1: I can't disagree there, and I can't really offer you any searing hot takes. <laughs> this men's draw is just not really doing it for me.
0: Do you have a prediction? I mean I just said Goffin is the one to mm-hmm. make the final. So God, you're up I mean, now, you're up on deck.
1: The thing is like it is so hard to kind of vote against Novak Djokovic. It's just that I don't know what he's going to look like in a best of 5 scenario across two weeks. I like I really don't know. The performance against Nadal was very encouraging, but before that, it was it was just not great. You know, through most of the clay season it was it was pretty bad. So, I'm taking a
0: take it as it comes approach to Novak right now. Mm. If he shows me a big result in a slam, then I will I will take note and come check you next time around. (laughs) So are you saying you have nothing to add? Nobody?
1: No, I'm, well, if I were putting money down, I would probably say Dominic. To make it one round further than his best and reach a final.
0: Which is a semis of the last two events. Right. Okay. That brings us to the end of our draw analysis, which I'm sure was riveting for all of you. (laughs) It's absolutely not our favorite episode of the year, doing these draw previews, because it's all a lot of hearsay.
1: Well, and it just it falls apart so quickly, yeah, sometimes on the very first day. Who
0: likes to put their thoughts out in public and have them disproven and made to look like idiots within <laughs> hours? But that's what we're doing for that's y'all. Yes, yeah, so appreciate that. <laughs> Don't we, hate, appreciate. We understand what the market is and what folks are in the market for. This is what y'all want. We bring a little bit of nuance, not too much hardlining to the quote-unquote predictions or non-predictions. And, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of levity, as Miss Mariah would say.
1: It <laughs> brings that levity. We do's. Now, uh, for, uh, for a little bit of gravity, <laughs> we have to talk about this Controversy that has made its way into popular culture and the mainstream press this week that
0: has Serena's name in Ivanka Trump's mouth. Ivanka Trump. Ivanka fucking Trump.
1: Nobody needed you to vouch for the queen, Serena. You know? Because what she has, she earned. Think about Mm. that.
0: There is so much truth in that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We've talked about this before in a previous episode. And while we forget everything we say within minutes of having said it, we're pretty sure <laughs> that we came down on the side of... I know what we've talked about privately, but on the show, we're pretty sure we said that absolutely there needs to be better protections for women on the WTA tour who want to start a family mid-career.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? That up that was Up
1: to and including protected seating.
0: Correct. And that, that we were pretty... S- firm in our discussion of that since we've had the benefit of listening frankly to a lot of women varying responses from many women who fall at different spots along the spectrum of opinions with respect to this issue Mm -hmm. and we still have the same thoughts I know my my take is a little bit different in that I feel like there should be some caveats In terms of how long the seating is allowed to be available, right? Okay. Still, these are not things that I feel that I as a man should have firm opinions on when this issue is still evolving, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's been most galling to me is the folks, men, and to be honest, largely gay men which is even doubly disappointing, who are mocking in their, in the way that they're handling this issue and presenting mm-hmm. their opinions. Right. Because this in no way, shape, or form affects you, nor is it something that you can in any way, shape, or form relate to. It's entirely abstract. And we talk about all the time about what it's like to be an ally and how to be an ally and this is absolutely not that <laughs> it is so far is true. from being that when as a gay person you are not able to carry a child yourself <laughs> maybe you should defer to women even though they're not professional athletes who have opinions on what it's like to carry a child and what it may be like for a woman who's carried a child to then return To tennis and there are also women who have not had children whose opinions are just as valid, but absolutely more valued valid than yours. You know, it's about knowing your place in the hierarchy of opinions and knowing when to keep your fucking mouth shut, frankly. (laughs) And listen to other people.
1: I uh since you know, since we talked about this on the podcast, it was a while ago and I almost forgot what what we had said, and I have made a conscious effort to stay out of the debate entirely.
0: You haven't been issuing hot takes on Twitter? No,
1: and it was it was intentional, and I was trying to take my own advice. Like I said last week when we talked about Francois Abanda's statement, I said, if you don't understand, take a step back and listen for a moment. Uh, and if you don't want to listen, then you probably shouldn't comment. And so what I did throughout this whole protected seating thing is I took a step back and I listened and I'm not going to issue any opinion on the matter in this episode. Okay. But I think there are a few things that we should lay out a few issues that that deserve discussion. So one piece of information that we didn't know the first time we talked about it is that the WTA players council has voted on this before. So Courtney Nguyen on Twitter told everyone, like, listen, if you want to have this debate, that's great, but you should know this. This piece of information, right? And also Twitter is absolutely not the right medium to be having this conversation. Yes. So the Players Council voted on it and rejected it. Importantly, it was packaged in basically the same vote as protected seating for players returning from injury which we know now is a very different issue. Mm -hmm. Darren Cahill kind of pushed back at her, and it was all very friendly, but Darren Cahill's been out here advocating for this protected seating for a while. Now, the, the question that arises for me is, should this be something that is voted upon by the Players Council at large? Do the other players, most of whom have not had children, Do they care if seating is protected when women have returned from maternity? Mm -hmm. These are women who they are in competition with. They're fighting with them for money and for ranking points and for titles. So to me, of course, the majority of the Players Council would vote this motion down. Like, it it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. But is it something that should be voted on? To me, if we had a genuine bargaining unit... That's something... Like, this is an issue that you fight for in bargaining. Like, these are workers' rights, basically. Better maternity leave, better protection for workers. Like, those aren't something that you... That the employer puts up for a vote. Mm-hmm. It's something that you work out through bargaining.
0: If we accept, and we absolutely accept, that tennis is a workplace and should be treated as such, akin to your regular nine-to-five workplace. Obviously, there are ways in which that glove doesn't fit. Of, of course, yeah. But a woman having a professional tennis career is not the same as a man having a professional tennis career. And we celebrate all these men when they become fathers. Say, oh my God, being a dad is such a good thing for his tennis game. Well, what about the women? You can't tell me that if you are in your mid-20s. For how many women... Is it a complete non-starter, even thinking about a family, if you're 24, Mm. 25? If you've spent your entire life playing tennis from the age of, say, three or five years old, your 20s is your money-making period of your life. And to interrupt that, to have a child, or to say, well, I'll play till I'm 13, then retire, and then have a a family, it's a very limiting, pre-existing way of viewing one's career and we've seen an absolute shift in the nature of women's tennis and and women's careers in the last decade to the point where women are playing well into their 30s and folks now say well this wouldn't have been an issue if it wasn't Serena Williams and to that I say so what Mm. so what that we did not have the fortitude and the foresight and the smarts to make this a big issue when Azarenko was coming back or when Kleisters was coming
1: back. Or Mandy Manella. Yeah. Or Ivan Gulagong. Or, or any, any of these players. Woman ranked outside of the top 100. That You're right it, that we did not talk we about We did it. not talk
0: about that. But that doesn't mean that we were excluded or precluded from talking about it now. And this is how change happens. You might fight it now, but once it's there, it's there. The women who then come up in 15 years and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to take two years off. I'm kind of burnt out. I'm going to have a kid. I'm going to come back. Like that's an option for them then. Mm-hmm. Where it becomes tricky, it's this idea that by making those protections for somebody like Serena or whoever, it's more fraught now for Serena because she's, she would be the number one seed, Right. And then the 32nd <laughs> right. seed would be bumped. And in this case, it would be Buzarnescu, who, as Courtney Nguyen had pointed out, has had a phenomenal year to get to this position. I think somebody else dropped out and said, so "No, she's 31. Buzarnescu. Okay. What about that person? And I think that if we have a situation where the parameters are known and defined and limited, that it becomes less of an issue when folks know what they're getting getting themselves into ahead of time. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and so,
0: say Serena comes back in January. What about a situation where you can exercise a protected seating for a limited number of events? You can do it for two Grand Slams.
1: Right. Like more limited than yeah. the protected ranking.
0: Maybe you don't have to do them at the two Grand Slams that you're first eligible for or first want to play. Maybe the first one, Serena, comes back in January and she says, well, I don't want to waste my protected seating here. I want to use it at the French Open and Wimbledon. I'm going to play myself into form here. Maybe see how it goes. But after a Mm. certain time, then that protection, that protected seating is no longer at your disposal.
1: If you work in Canada, for example, you have far more expansive maternity leave policy than in the U.S., Women here can expect 52 weeks, and now it's actually been increased to 18 months, and the benefit is just extended over mm-hmm. six more months. This is where the, the Western world has gone, and the U.S. is utterly backward in comparison. I think the WTA suffers in comparison because it is headquartered in Florida, in the U.S., and, I mean, in the U.S., workers' rights have been eroded consciously for the past century. It's been a concerted effort by politicians, mostly Republican, to undermine the rights of workers to collectivize and bargain in good faith with their employers. So I think that this exists in that sort of atmosphere in the United States. The WTA is an international organization, but it is still very American in character. Mm -hmm. But
0: it is is different in that Within the framework of what you just said with organizations and politicians in North America, in the U.S., working to undercut workers' rights, mm. that's posited big picture against corporations. Like, what about corporations' rights? You know, corporations <laughs> right. making money. Well, and because this the Supreme Court has ruled yes, that corporations are people. but this issue people. doesn't directly affect the WTA's earning power. This is more an issue among staff, mm-hmm. right, which is a little bit but, different. Oh, that's true.
1: But what I'm saying is that the WTA, for whatever reason, is not super inclined to empower their workers to collectivize <laughs> because there's no like there's no mm. distinction between employer and employee. The employer, the WTA represents or purports to represent both the tournaments mm. and players, which is impossible in my opinion. If
0: we attach unionizing with this issue, that's mm. many steps too far. right. So what we, what we have to be looking at here is a question to be asked is why, and I think I asked this on the last time we talked about it, why wouldn't it be in the best interest of the WTA to have, in this case, Serena in your tournament longer? Mm-hmm. From a self-sustaining perspective, right? This is you protecting your brand. Obviously, it's not an issue if, no offense, but Mandy Manel is in the same position. So it's this balance of in one, in one aspect, you're able to help yourself as a tour by giving Serena more opportunities to go deep into tournaments. And in another way, you're able to help your staff. Mm-hmm. It seems like, because the balance is often skewed in favor of the, the corporation when their hand is forced to make a decision, right? Or like when they want to make a decision on something like this. Like, well, how does it benefit us? In this instance, to me, it
1: benefits both, in my in my, probably okay. naïve opinion. And to be clear, the ITF is the one who runs Roland Garros. And they, they do have the right, as far as I understand, to seed mm-hmm. how they like Which they chose not to. It right. seems
0: like Wimbledon will. But this is more of an issue for the WTA in general, with right. the other
1: tournaments. If you want to do more reading about this topic, I would suggest first... Uh, reading our friend Bad Toss's essay about the topic. Uh, she's at badtoss.wordpress.com. Excellent writer. I learned a lot from reading her work. Also, the USA, USA Today ran a story recently about how the French Open is punishing her. I mean, there is a lot of opposing views out there that I encourage you to read as well. Again, I don't want to fall on one side. I kind of want to extract myself from the conversation and let other people take this on because mm-hmm. I don't see this as my role. I see my role in this conversation as listening and letting more qualified people do the work.
0: Yeah, you know. I mean, I realize I have given some opinions here.
1: Well, I mean, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is a podcast. Right, right. But I absolutely agree with you. Mm. In that, I don't know. I but there's there's the one school of thought which if you're a man you shouldn't have an opinion about this to begin with, even if you're in support of it, but especially if you're going to say that women shouldn't have protected seatings, you need to sit this one out. <laughs> Absolutely sit yeah. this one out. Yeah,
1: I think in some, are we talking about this only because it's Serena? Yes. That is, that's an unequivocal yes. That's why we're talking about it. Does that mean the conversation shouldn't happen? No. Like, that's, that's where I want to leave it. Let's get past that, Yep. It's only because Serena is Serena. That's why we're talking about this in the first place. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we nobody talked about it with Bondarenko or with any of the many women who have had children come back to tennis. Mm-hmm. And that's too bad. And that's on us as well. But now that the conversation is happening, talk about it.
0: Vika was asked about an Indian Wells, I, I believe. Check Courtney Nguyen's Twitter. There's the transcripts from that. Where she gives a very equivocal opinion about what's going on. Like, there's a lot of things at play. She's on the Players Council. Like, there are a lot of things being considered. And to this issue of fairness, which is one of the big things that's used as a. used to undercut this push, yeah. right? It's unfair until nobody's thinking about it. Until the rule is changed. Until we have another way of doing things. You know, I just. I I weigh both sides and I just, I don't know.
1: I Well, the other possibility is that women who are not, say, you weren't ranked number one when you left the game for your maternity leave. If you were ranked, say, number 50, you could get a protected seating in a small tournament. Yeah. You know, like, so it doesn't have to only help the 1% of tennis.
0: There's a lot to consider. Just consider mm. it <laughs> and listen to
1: folks outside of us. So why don't we leave it there? We're probably going to be back with you for kind of a mid French Open At some episode. point episode. Yeah, I don't I can't promise when, but it will happen. Thanks for listening. I'm Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. I'm James at Elliot JMR.
0: The podcast is at the body serve on Twitter as well as on Instagram. Thank you for everybody who's reached out with questions for our mailbag section of this episode. Thanks to everybody who's written reviews on iTunes recently. We absolutely welcome those going forward. If you haven't yet, please do. Till next
1: time. Thank Thank you. Thank you very much.